Section two of Old and New Masters by Robert Lynn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jane Austen, Natural Historian. Jane Austen has often been praised as a natural historian. She is a naturalist among tame animals. She does not study man, as Dostoevsky does, in his wild state before he has been domesticated. Her men and women are essentially men and women of the fireside. Nor is Jane Austen entirely a realist in her treatment even of these. She idealizes them to the point of making most of them good-looking, and she hates poverty to such a degree that she seldom can endure to write about anybody who is poor. She is not happy in the company of a character who has not at least a thousand pounds. People get so horridly poor and economical in this part of the world, she writes on one occasion, that I have no patience with them. Kent is the only place for happiness. Everybody is rich there. Her novels do not introduce us to the most exalted levels of the aristocracy. They provide us, however, with the natural history of county people and of people who are just below the level of county people and live in the eager hope of being taken notice of by them. There is more caste snobbishness, I think, in Jane Austen's novels than in any other fiction of equal genius. She, far more than Thackeray, is a novelist of snobs. How far Jane Austen herself shared the social prejudice of her characters, it is not easy to say unquestionably she satirized them at the same time she imputes a sense of superior rank not only to her butts but to her heroes and heroines as no other novelist has ever done emma woodhouse lamented the deficiency of this sense in frank churchill his difference to a confusion of rank she thought bordered too much on inelegance of mind Mr. Darcy, again, even when he melts so far as to become an avowed lover, neither forgets his social position nor omits to talk about it. His sense of her inferiority, of its being a degradation, was dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. On discovering to his amazement that Elizabeth is offended rather than overwhelmed by his condescension, he defends himself warmly disguise of every sort he declares is my abhorrence nor am i ashamed of the feelings i related they were natural and just could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your connections to congratulate myself on the hopes of relations whose condition in life is so decidedly beneath my own it is perfectly true that darcy and emma woodhouse are the butts of miss austen as well as being among her heroes and heroines she mocks them darcy especially no less than she admires she loves to let her wit play about the egoism of social caste she is quite merciless in deriding it when it becomes overbearing as in lady catherine de Boer, or when it produces flunkyish reactions as in mr collins but i fancy she liked a modest measure of it most people do jane austen in writing so much about the sense of family and position chose as her theme one of the most widespread passions of civilized human nature she was herself a clergyman's daughter she was the seventh of a family of eight born in the parsonage at steventon in hampshire her life seems to have been far from exciting 
her father like the clergy in her novels was a man of leisure of so much leisure as mr cornish reminds us that he was able to read out copper to his family in the mornings jane was brought up to be a young lady of leisure she learned french and italian and sewing she was especially great in satin stitch she excelled at the game of spillikins she must have begun to write at an early age in later life she urges an ambitious niece aged twelve to give up writing till she is sixteen adding that she had herself often wished she had read more and written less in the corresponding years of her life she was only twenty when she began to write first impressions the perfect book which was not published till seventeen years later with the title altered to pride and prejudice she wrote secretly for many years her family knew of it but the world did not not even the servants or the visitors to the house she used to hide the little sheets of paper on which she was writing when any one approached she had not apparently a room to herself and must have written under constant threat of interruption she objected to having a creaking door mended on one occasion because she knew by it when any one was coming she got little encouragement to write pride and prejudice was offered to a publisher in seventeen ninety seven he would not even read it northanger abbey was written in the next two years it was not accepted by a publisher however till eighteen o three and he having paid ten pounds for it refused to publish it one of miss austen's brothers brought back the manuscript at the price at which it had been sold twelve or thirteen years later but even then it was not published till eighteen eighteen when the author was dead the first of her books to appear was sense and sensibility she had begun to write it immediately after finishing pride and prejudice it was published in eighteen eleven a good many years later when miss austen was thirty-six years old the title page merely said that it was written by a lady the author never put her name to any of her books for an anonymous first novel it must be admitted sense and sensibility was not unsuccessful it brought miss austen a hundred and fifty pounds a prodigious recompense she thought for that which had cost her nothing the fact however that she had not earned more than seven hundred pounds from her novels by the time of her death shows that she never became a really popular author in her lifetime she was rewarded as poorly in credit as in cash though the prince regent became an enthusiastic admirer of her books and kept a set of them in each of his residences it was the prince regent's librarian the rev j s clark who on becoming chaplain to prince leopold of saxe coburg made the suggestion to her that an historical romance illustrated of the history of the august house of coburg would just now be very interesting mr collins had he been able to wean himself from fordyce's sermons so far as to allow himself to take an interest in fiction could hardly have made a proposal more exquisitely grotesque one is glad the proposal was made however not only for its own sake but because it drew an admirable reply from miss austen on the nature of her genius i could not sit seriously down she declared to write a serious romance under any other motive than to save my life and if it were indispensable for me to keep it up and never relax into laughing at myself or at other people i am sure i should be hung before i had finished the first chapter jane austen knew herself for what she was an inveterate laughter she belonged essentially to the eighteenth century the century of the wits she enjoyed the spectacle of men and women making fools of themselves and she did not hide her enjoyment under a pretense of unobservant good nature 
she observed with malice it is tolerably certain that miss mitford was wrong in accepting the description of her in private life as perpendicular precise taciturn a poker of whom every one is afraid miss austin one is sure was a lady of good humour as well as a novelist of good humour but the good humour had a flavour it was a good humour of the satirist not of the sentimentalizer one can imagine jane austen herself speaking as elizabeth bennett once spoke to her monotonously soft-worded sister that is the most unforgiving speech she said that i ever heard you utter good girl miss austen has even been accused of irreverence and we occasionally find her in her letters as irreverent in the presence of death as mr shaw only think she writes in one letter a remark she works into a chapter of emma by the way of mrs holder being dead poor woman she has done the only thing in the world she could possibly do to make one cease to abuse her and on another occasion she writes mrs hall of sherborne was brought to bed yesterday of a dead child some weeks before she expected owing to a fright i suppose she happened unawares to look at her husband it is possible that miss austen's sense of the comic ran away with her at times as emma woodhouse's did i do not know of any similar instance of cruelty in conversation on the part of a likable person so unpardonable as emma woodhouse's witticism at the expense of miss bates at the box hill picnic miss austen makes emma ashamed of her witticism when elizabeth defends her sharp tongue against darcy the wisest and best of men he protests may be rendered ridiculous by a person whose first object in life is a joke i hope i never ridicule what is wise or good says elizabeth in the course of her answer follies and nonsense whims and inconsistencies do divert me i own and i laugh at them whenever i can the six novels that jane austen has left us might be described as the record of the diversions of a clergyman's daughter the diversions of jane austen were beyond those of most novelists the diversions of a spectator that is what scott and macaulay meant by comparing her to shakespeare or rather they were the diversions of a listener she observed with her ears rather than with her eyes with her conversation was three-fourths of life her stories are stories of people who reveal themselves almost exclusively in talk she wastes no time in telling us what people and places look like she will dismiss a man or a house or a view or a dinner with an adjective such as handsome there is more description of persons and places in mr shaw's stage directions than in all miss austen's novels she cuts the osses and comes to the cackle as no other english novelist of the same eminence has ever done if we know anything of the setting or character or even the appearance of her men and women it is due far more to what they say than to anything that is said about them and yet how perfect is her gallery of portraits one can guess the very angle of mr collins's toes one seems too to be able to follow her characters through the trivial round of the day's idleness as closely as if one were pursuing them under the guidance of a modern realist they are the most unoccupied people i think who ever lived in literature they are people in whose lives a slight fall of snow is an event louisa musgrave's jump on the cob at lyme regis produces more commotion in the jane austen world than murder and arson do in an ordinary novel her people do not even seem for the most part to be interested in anything but their opinions of each other they have few passions beyond matchmaking they are unconcerned about any of the great events of their time almost the only reference in the novels to the napoleonic wars is a mention of the prize money of naval officers many a noble fortune says mr shepherd in persuasion has been made during the war 
miss austin's principal use of the navy outside mansfield park is as a means of portraying the exquisite vanity of sir walter elliot his inimitable manner of emphasizing the importance of both rank and good looks in the make-up of a gentleman the profession has its utility he says of the navy but i should be sorry to see any friend of mine belonging to it he goes on to explain his reasons it is in two points offensive to me i have two strong grounds of objection to it first as being the means of bringing persons of obscure birth into undue distinction and raising men to honors which their fathers and grandfathers never dreamt of and secondly as it cuts up a man's youth and vigor most terribly a sailor grows old sooner than any other man sir walter complains that he had once had to give place at dinner to lord st ives the son of a curate and a certain admiral baldwin the most deplorable-looking personage you can imagine his face the color of mahogany rough and rugged to the last degree all lines and wrinkles nine gray hairs of a side and nothing but a dab of powder at top in the name of heaven who is that old fellow said i to a friend of mine who was standing near sir basil morley oh fellow cried sir basil it is admiral baldwin what do you take his age to be sixty said i or perhaps sixty-two forty replied sir basil forty and no more picture to yourselves my amazement i shall not easily forget admiral baldwin i never saw quite so wretched an example of what a seafaring life can do but to a degree i know it is the same with them all they are all knocked about and exposed to every climate and every weather till they are not fit to be seen it is a pity they are knocked on the head at once before they reach admiral baldwin's age that i think is an excellent example of miss austin's genius for making her characters talk luckily conversation was still formal in her day and it was as possible for her as for congreve to make middling men and women talk first-rate prose she did more than this however she was the first english novelist before meredith to portray charming women with free personalities elizabeth bennett and emma woodhouse have an independence rare in english fiction of the accident of being fallen in love with elizabeth is a delightful prose counterpart of beatrice miss austen has another point of resemblance to meredith besides that which i have mentioned she loves to portray men puffed up with self-approval she too is a satirist of the male egoist her books are the most finished social satires in english fiction they are so perfect in the delicacy of their raillery as to be charming one is conscious in them indeed of the presence of a sparkling spirit miss austen comes as near being a star as it is possible to come in eighteenth-century conversational prose she used to say that if ever she would marry she would fancy being mrs crabbe she had much of crabbe's realism indeed but what a dance she led realism with the mocking light of her wit end of section two read by ginger kukolo